0: Our sermon passage today comes from Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the God.
1: You guys may be seated. As you take your seat, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, this morning, we cry out to you in the name of Jesus. Father, would you speak to us from your word? And as you speak to us, would you give us ears to hear? Open minds and open hearts to receive what you're saying. And would you shape us in the image of your son, Jesus? Lord, would you prepare us to hear what you're saying and to receive it? Lord, would you help me to speak your word in a way that is first true, second clear, and third beneficial to your people? We plead this for the glory of Jesus. Friends, it's great to see you all this morning. If you haven't done so already, please take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. If you didn't bring a Bible, please take one from the underneath the chair in front of you and use it. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that home with you today so that you can study God's word. Here at Redeemer, we're working our way through the book of Matthew and And in particular, we've been working our way through a section of Matthew where Jesus is talking about um, his coming. He's talking about when he comes again. He's talking about when will be the end of time and the end of the age and what we should expect. And here's the answer. We should expect Jesus to reign and we should expect the reigning Jesus to draw his people to him. This is what we should expect. So in many ways, this passage today has been building and building and building over chapter um, 23 and 24 and 25, where um, Jesus has been answering the question of his disciples, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so he's going to conclude this teaching here Um, somebody asked me before church this morning how are you going to take this passage and turn it into new year's resolutions um and the answer is i'm not if you came for some spiritual resolutions you probably came to the wrong place um but i can give you one resolved be in christ be a sheep Be with Jesus. If you need a resolution for this year, start there. Ultimately, what this passage is going to convey to us is Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus will come again, and Jesus will reign over all peoples forever. That's what the passage promises us. Now underneath that promise, there's a lot of hard things that we have to wrestle with. But we'll take those in turn. So if you want to take notes this morning, the first point, the Son of Man comes. The Son of Man comes. Um, Let's not miss the bright, shining truth right at the beginning of this passage. Look at verse 31. When the Son of Man, this is the phrase Jesus used to speak of himself, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd, shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I'm just going to go ahead and pre emit shepherd, sheep, and separate. It's going to be hard for me today. So just kind of lean in and, and listen through the, the, the slurs and stuttering if you can. Okay. I think it would be easy for us to jump over this because there's some other parts of this passage that kind of draw our eye. They draw our attention. They they make us say, oh, I have questions. Oh, I need to wrestle with that. But let's not jump over what Jesus is doing here. If you were a good Jew hanging out in the temple area as Jesus is teaching these things, you would have been anticipating a day when the Lord's messenger would come to sit on a throne to reign over Israel and the nations and separate people, sheep and goats. You'd have been anticipating that. So the turn here is Jesus takes that anticipation and points it at himself. That's the turn. When the Son of Man, when I come in my glory... The angels will be with me. I will sit on my glorious throne. Before me will be gathered all the nations, and I will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Do do you see what Jesus is saying about himself? He's saying, I am the Lord, I am the Savior. The glory of God is my glory. The throne of God is my throne. The judgment of God is my judgment. Jesus is bringing great claims about His himself. And what he is shining forth is, I am your God. I am your savior. I am your King, I am the one that you have longed for. I am the one who will satisfy your souls. I am the one who will bring the blessings of God to the people of God that will last forever. And ultimately, Jesus is saying, your eternity rests in my hands. Your eternity rests in my hands. So if you wonder why when all this is over, In chapter 26, they're going to plot to kill Jesus. This is probably the last nail, right? This is the last nail that drove it forward. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Jesus is saying, I am The Lord, he's making a divine claim about himself. I am the Savior. He's making a claim that the only way to find eternal life and to avoid eternal punishment is through him. Jesus is claiming this about himself. So he is ramping up, shining light on who he truly is and declaring it openly. You know, as we've gone through Matthew, there have been those points where Jesus has done these crazy, miraculous things and then been like, but don't go tell anyone about it because my time's not yet come, right? Well, his time's now come, and he's saying it, and he's saying it clearly. He's saying it boldly, and he's standing on it. So, friends, what this does drive forward to us is this one major Question Who do we say that Jesus is? Or we can make that first person Who do I say that Jesus is? And then that drives us to a second question Will I sacrifice everything to follow him? Will we sacrifice everything to follow him? Now, friends, I suspect, if you're like me, when I ask that question, will I sacrifice everything to follow Jesus? Something flashed in your head. Like something flash like, ooh, I don't know about sacrificing that thing. Write that down. Make note. Because when Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, he meant deny everything. And he meant come follow me. Now we can still have houses and cars and jobs and families and fun and we can still do fun things this evening to a limit and follow Jesus or maybe to several limits and follow Jesus all the parents are like pastor stop stop but ultimately the question that this drives us to is will we Obediently, filled with faith, filled with hope, filled with joy, filled with love, follow Christ who is the Son of Man, who is glorious, who comes with all the angels, who sits on God's glorious throne, who gathers all the nations before him, and who separates the sheep From the goats, will we follow this Jesus and trust in him and believe in him and love him and serve him? Will we do this? So to that first question, who do we say that Jesus is? If you're not sure how to answer that question, I would love to speak with you about that after the service. Anybody you've seen on the stage today would love to have a conversation with you about Jesus. Through those doors to the left, there's a book called Basic Christianity which was written to answer that question. Who is Jesus and how do I respond to him? But before we leave this point, let's just notice Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. When he comes, it will be glorious and celebratory for those who belong to him. And it will establish eternity for everyone. When he comes again, eternity will be established in his kingdom, or separated from him. So that pushes us to the second point in our sermon, the separation. What's going to happen when Jesus comes again? Verse 32 boils it down. The shepherd Jesus will separate the sheep From the goats. And all nations, meaning the Jews and the Gentiles, all the peoples of the earth, will stand before Jesus and be separated. Now, Jesus is borrowing a Jewish Middle Eastern agricultural metaphor, and in this metaphor, Sheep are not goats and goats are not sheep and it's better to be a sheep. Okay, everybody with me? Sheep are not goats, goats are not sheep and it's better to be a sheep. So when Christ comes, there will be separation. Now, Jesus tells of this separation from two different perspectives. The one, the sheep, and the perspective of the goats. So verse 33, the first perspective. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, to the sheep, Come you who are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So Jesus is saying to those who are on the right to the sheep, come be blessed by the Father and inherit the kingdom that God has been preparing, that's been God's plan from the foundation of the world. Second perspective, picking up in verse 41. To the goats... Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So what Jesus is setting up here is an eternity where those who belong to Christ, know Christ, love Christ, And walk with Christ, inherit an eternity in the kingdom of Christ. And the key word here is inherit. Something is given to you that's not yours. Something's given to you that you didn't earn. Inherit the kingdom of Christ. To the goats, he says, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So Jesus is saying something that is a hard truth that we shall not soften. There is an eternity for those separated from Jesus. And real people will experience this eternity. Now friends, if the doctrine of hell ever becomes a badge of honor for us, we're we're reading the Bible wrong. If the doctrine of hell ever becomes something that we celebrate, we're reading the Bible wrong. What this teaching about separation should do to us is it should drive us first to say, Where do I stand? And then to look upon our friends, our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, our teammates, our fellow students. And to long for them to find Christ. With a longing that moves to action. Action with a longing that moves to prayer, with a longing that moves to discussion, with a longing that moves to repent and believe, with a longing that moves to my heart's greatest desire for you is that you would know Jesus. If we believe this truth, then we will be motivated to invite, motivated to welcome, motivated to pray, motivated to point toward Christ in all things. Okay, friends, everybody exhale. That's the easy part of the passage. There's a big part of me that wants, wants to be like, amen, let's go home, but but we got to we got to dive into what Jesus says here. So, Jesus then, both to the sheep and to the goats, uses an interesting example. We see it positively in verses 35 through 40 and negatively in verses 42 through 45. Verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And you may be like, why are you reading this to us again like we can read? Because I want you to hear the words of Jesus first before you hear my words. Negatively, verse 42. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. This is an interesting example. So let me give us some ways to think of this. Number one, I don't believe Jesus is saying that we become righteous or unrighteous only based upon how we respond to those in need. I'll say that one more time. I do not believe that Jesus is saying that we become righteous or unrighteous, sheep or or goats, based only on how we respond to those who are in need, okay? We have to take Romans 5, which is just as much the word of God as this teaching of Jesus, very seriously, which Austin read for us earlier. Everyone who believes on Christ will be saved. Second, I do not think that calling on people to trust in Christ means that we don't call on people to follow Christ. Let me say that one more time. It's a little clunky, but it's very intentional. I do not believe that calling on people to trust Christ for salvation means that we do not call on people to follow Christ in their lives. I think this is where Satan gets us twisted up, okay? If I say God wants you to do X, we southern evangelicals interpret that as, well, Either doing X is how we earn our salvation or we earn our salvation by faith. And what I wanna propose is something I think is far more biblical. What if by faith we become Christians and the spirit dwells within us and spirit indwelt people of faith do the things that make Jesus happy? They follow Jesus where he goes. They do the things that Christ would do. They love what Christ would love and they hate what Christ would hate. That's the more biblical vision. Now, I don't know why of all the issues Jesus could have chosen, he chose this one. But he chose it. And we don't get to undo it. We don't get to sit down with Jesus and say, Hey, did you realize that might cause us some problems somewhere along the way? He doesn't care. He wants us to be so committed to him that we'll follow him where he goes. Well, Christians, those of us who claim with our mouths to belong to Christ... Will we follow him where he goes? That's our question. And he's like, oh yeah, you said yes, didn't you? Good, let me help you. When the least of these is in need, respond to them as you would respond to me. Don't worry, we'll define least of these in a minute. But look at verse 40, this is our interpretive grid. The king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it, To one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Okay. So when the least of these is naked, the love of Christ starts with clothing. I didn't say it ends there, but it starts there. When the least of these is sick, the love of Christ starts with care. When the least of these is lonely and in prison, the love of Christ starts with comes to me and loves me. When the least of these is hungry, the love of Christ starts with feeding. When the least starts with food, when the least of these is thirsty, the love of Christ starts with drink. We don't have to make enemies out of loving people and walking by faith. Because walking by faith will love God and love others. Jesus himself said it. What's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's two things Jesus said it's one command. Maybe he wouldn't do well in math, but he's the Lord. That was a joke, by the way. You should have laughed on the math thing. He's the Lord, and he says this is the great command. So this is something that grieves me. In the 1920s, there was a movement to take all things supernatural out of the Bible. There was a move to take miracles out. There was a movement to take eternal eternity out. And the movement was, let's just teach people to be nice to one another and then the world will become a utopia. That's an untrue lie. I don't believe that, okay? The whole faith depends on the miraculous. It depends on a virgin bearing the Son of God and that Son of God growing to obediently fulfill all the law and that Son of God to die on a cross and rise the third day and appear miraculously to people in rooms with doors closed and locked and windows locked and then to ascend into heaven and to reign over all things. The faith depends on the supernatural and the faith depends on that Jesus I just pulled a credit card out of my pocket. That's really weird. I'm going to put that away. Don't need that while preaching. Okay. And the faith depends on that Jesus redeeming sinful people. And these redeemed sinful people don't merely get a Willy Wonka ticket for eternity with Jesus, but they get Christ now. And they get the Spirit now. Now. And we walk in the ways of Jesus and in the ways of the scripture and in the ways of the kingdom now. So maybe this is your New Year's resolution. Jesus wants something from me. He wants me to love him. He wants me to listen to him. He wants me to trust him and he wants me to follow him even when that is sacrificial. Okay, we're going on a tangent because I think the tangent has shaped all of us whether we want to believe it or not. 1920s, there's a movement to take everything of value out of the scripture and out of the faith. And what did they replace it with? Feed the hungry, right? Do good things. We can't let a mistake from the 1920s prevent us from reading what Jesus says here, okay? So just take that whole pile and throw it in the trash. But so much of American Christianity for the last hundred years has been shaped by this false argument. It's not, it's not even an argument. How is someone made right with God? Through the blood of Jesus. How does someone become a child of God? By faith in Jesus. And how does a child of Jesus live? Following Jesus obediently And actively. Will we fail? Yes. Will we be inconsistent? Yes. But what I want to, but he'll be with us as we follow him. What I want to present to us today is wherever we see the least of these, his brothers, we respond with love and compassion and in the way Jesus did. Now, if you like a good theological debate, I'm going to give you one. Some people, so so a lot of this passage boils down to how do we interpret verse 40, the least of these my brothers. Some people have tried to interpret that as just the 12 disciples. Doesn't seem to work for all the nations to be judged based upon how they responded to the needs of just the 12 disciples. Some have interpreted it to, to mean these my brothers, to mean... Those who are in Christ, those who are of the kingdom, I would say, let's all, let's all start there, right? Like, like, what if we all started by saying, when we see needs among the people of Jesus, we'll respond with the love of Jesus? Like, what if we just started there? Man, I think the church would be a different place. I think the South, where there's 500 churches per community, would be a different place, some would say, the least of these, my brothers, is anyone who's in need. If that's the case, respond. Respond. I'm not so much going to tell you how narrow or broad to be as much as I'm going to say. I want you to see in this passage that Jesus expects faith to change how we face the world and the need around us in the world. And I want you to be changed by it. I want you to be changed by it. All right. Some of you, not we all probably have a thousand questions that we want to throw at this passage or a thousand bricks that you want to throw at me. I appreciate if you hang on to the bricks. But with the questions... What if we just start here? Lord, help me see the need of your brothers the way you see it. And Lord, help me respond as one who's received everything from you. I don't mean that to be vague. I just think the Lord might lead all of us to respond in some different ways. But I think if we pray that way and we follow the leading of the Lord that way, the love of Christ will ooze out of us, flow out of us. And so the next time You get your fifth invitation to a meal train on a Monday. That's five of them. Maybe you can't respond yes to all those. I get it. maybe it's the end of the month and you don't have any groceries. That's fine. But before we get so frustrated, speaking to me, let's maybe pick up Matthew 25 again. And let that shape how we respond. So, what's Jesus saying here? Number one, he's coming again. Number two, when he comes again, he will bring the judgment. And number three, he desires his people to follow him in his kingdom. Even now, as we go forward. So, our Father and our God, we now thank you for this word which you have given to us. And Lord, with great humility, I pray this that if anything I have said today is untrue and is not in keeping with the truth of your scripture, Would you make that known? And would you cause us to not be deceived? But Lord, as much as what's been said today is true, is right, is good. Would you cause us to be changed and to follow after you? We plead this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.